Hello everyone and welcome to JTalk Extra Time. As usual, all of the latest J2 and J3 news is coming up. I'm John Steele and I'm going to start this episode with a roundup of the J2 Round 34 action from last weekend. After that, I got together with a very special guest, Daniel Kuroda uh, of the Nagasaki Sapo EN account on uh, Twitter. Uh, we had a deep dive into Nagasaki season so far, so uh, please look forward to that. Um, after my chat with Daniel, as usual, Magic Mike Innes is on hand. He has the J3 latest for you in uh, J Talk Short Corner. So without further ado, let's talk about J2 Round 34 from last weekend. We'll start at the top of the table this week. Machida are still on top, but their lead has been cut to six points. After a surprise home defeat against Tochigi, it finished Machida nil, Tochigi won. Uh, it's worth mentioning though, Machida do have that game in hand on most of the other teams in the top half. The vital goal in this game came nine minutes into the second half when Tochigi's Cole Miyazaki flashed a low ball across the six-yard box. Machida defender Jang Mingyu, trying to block the run of Tochigi's Ismaila, ended up turning the ball past his own goalkeeper for an own goal. Late on, there was a fine save from Tochigi keeper Kazuki Fujita to keep Machida out, and Machida gave a start to their new Brazilian forward Adam Ilson up front in this game, but to little effect, and it finished Machida nil. Tochigi won, so a slight end-of-season wobble for Machida, only one win in their last four. Meanwhile, Tochigi are 12th, a full 10 points clear of the relegation zone, so they might be thinking that they are almost safe for this year. Jubilo Iwata are still second, but they had to dig deep to take all three points against a spirited Omiya side at Yamaha. It finished Iwata 3, Omiya 2. Omiya started extremely well, and Iwata's Makito Ito had to make a brilliant goal line clearance early on, as the squirrels seemed certain to take the lead. And Omiya did hit the front in the 18th minute, when a corner was kept alive in the box by Atsushi Kurokawa. Keisuke Muroi acrobatically volleyed home from inside the six-yard box. A lovely finish from him, and Omiya were ahead. The lead was short-lived though, as Ito, criminally unmarked at an Iwata corner, headed the home side level just seven minutes later. Omiya were really in the mood in this game though, presumably galvanised by their desperate plight at the foot of the table, and they retook the lead just after the hour when Seiya Nakano wriggled past his marker on the left-hand side of the penalty area and crossed low for Jakub Suechok, who adjusted his feet and then curled the ball past the keeper from about 12 yards. Omiya back in front. It was then Omiya's turn to make a smart block on the goal line as Iwata threatened to equalise, but the equaliser did come for the home side in the 77th minute, and it seemed to happen in slow motion. Kotaro Fujikawa received the ball with his back to goal inside Omiya's penalty area. None of the visiting defenders reacted quickly enough, and he was able to drive low into the goalkeeper Kasahara's bottom left-hand corner to make it Iwata 2, Omiya 2. In a dramatic finale, Omiya missed a golden chance to win it at the end of the 90 minutes, when Hiroki Kurimoto went clean through, his shot was too close to Iwata keeper Ryuki Muna, and the follow-up chance was blocked on the line by Ricardo Grassa. Um, we're talking about Omiya, so you know what's coming. In the 95th minute, Iwata were jubilant as they snatched a winner. Dudu's corner dropped invitingly for Ricardo Grassa, and he fired in from six yards via a deflection. And uh, yes, Iwata were victorious, and the Valiant Squirrels were beaten. It finished Iwata 3, Omiya 2. Iwata are a point ahead of third place Tokyo Verdi at the summit, while Omiya, rock bottom, remains seven points adrift of safety with eight games to go. 
Third place Shimizu Espulse showed the difference between top 6 certainties and top 6 hopefuls with a 3-0 home win over Yamagata. Thiago Santana got the ball rolling quite literally for the home side in the 15th minute when he fired a low shot into the bottom corner from the edge of the penalty area and gave Shimizu an early lead. Yamagata were living dangerously at the back and they survived one scare after giving the ball away to Takeru Kishimoto but their luck ran out on the half hour. A mistake this time from Reo Takai gifted possession to Takashi Inui and he played in Kishimoto for a cool finish from about 10 yards to make it 2-0. Shimizu pretty much sealed the game with a third goal at the end of the first half. Yuji Takahashi with a thumping header from Rayon Yamahara's free kick out wide on the right. Early on in the second half, Inui almost added a fourth, but he couldn't keep his shot on target at full stretch. And the game finished, Shimizu 3, Yamagata 0. Yamagata find themselves 11th, uh, but only 3 points off the top 6. And as mentioned already, Shimizu are a point behind 2nd placed Iwata, and a point ahead of 4th placed Tokyo Verdi. Speaking of Tokyo Verdi, they won a home game for the first time in a scarcely believable 5 months, 2-0 against Yamaguchi. This turned out to be quite a comfortable victory. Verdi almost took the lead in the fourth minute when Itsuki Somano went clean through. There was a nice save by Kentaro Seki to keep him out. That was just a temporary let-off for Yamaguchi though, as the home side opened the scoring in the 10th minute. Hirato Taniguchi with a diving header from Hikaru Nakahara's corner. Then it was 2-0 and pretty much game over in the 25th minute, with Verdi queuing up on the edge of Yamaguchi's penalty area. The ball ran loose to Tetsuyuki Inami and he fired into Seki's bottom left-hand corner from about 16 yards. A slight hint of offside about this goal, but uh, it, it was allowed uh, and it was 2-0 to the home side. Late on, Yusuke Minagawa rattled the Verdi crossbar with a header, but that was about as good as it got for Juan S. Snyder's men, and it finished Tokyo Verdi 2, Yamaguchi 0. Verdi a fourth, as mentioned, a point behind third place Shimizu, while Yamaguchi a 19th, three points clear of the drop zone, but they've lost four of their last five matches, and they have to go away to Iwata next. Nagasaki, who I'm going to talk about in detail with Daniel later, held on to 5th place after coming from behind to beat Gunma 2-1 at home. The visitors were 2nd best in the first half, but shocked Nagasaki by going in front straight after half-time. A corner in the 48th minute was headed down into the 6-yard box for Ryo Sato to touch past Nagasaki keeper Go Hatano for 1-0. Nagasaki leveled things up though in the 64th minute when a right-wing cross from Matthias Jesus went all the way through to the back post and Juanma Delgado was on hand to fire in his 21st goal of the season from about 8 yards, uh, J2's top scorer at the moment, of course. This game looked like it was going to turn out to be a 1-1 draw, but a moment of magic from Serin Sario Jopu won it for Nagasaki late on. He brilliantly scored an overhead kick when he connected with a left-wing cross from Yuta Imazu, volleying in from about 6 yards. And before the finish, there was time for a good Hatano save from Atsuki Yamanaka to preserve all three points for the home side. But thanks to Jopu's moment of magic, it finished Nagasaki 2, Gunma 1. Nagasaki are three points ahead of sixth-placed Okayama, but five behind fourth-placed Tokyo Verdi, so a little bit of a gap opening up in that top six. Gunma are still uh, close to the playoffs. They're three points off the top six in tenth. 
Sixth placed Fagiano Okayama made it four wins in a row at home to Sendai, but left it very late to get the job done. They eventually won 1-0 with Stefan Mork scoring the winner in the last minute of second half stoppage time when Yasutaka Yanagi was able to keep an Okayama corner alive inside the penalty area. The ball dropped perfectly for Mork to volley past Sendai's keeper Akihiro Hayashi from six yards. Right at the start of the game, Yanagi had actually put the ball in the back of the net for the home side, but his goal was correctly disallowed for an offside against striker Thiago Alves. But uh, yeah, it was a, a hard-fought win for Okayama. It finished Okayama 1, Sendai nil. Sendai a 15th in the table, 11 points off the playoffs, and we have to be honest, it doesn't look like it's going to happen for them uh, this season. On the edge of the playoff zone, there are three teams tied on 51 points. We've talked about Okayama already. The other two sides in that group are Kofu and Jeff Chiba. Kofu picked up three points from a very entertaining game at home to Oita, who are now in ninth. It finished Kofu 3, Oita 2. But the home side found themselves 2-0 behind after half an hour of this game. Oita took the lead in the 15th minute with Kento Haneda heading in a left-wing cross from Keita Takahata. After that, Kofu pressed the self-destruct button. Brazilian defender Eduardo Mancha tried to head the ball back to his goalkeeper Tsubasa Shibuya, but his contact on the ball was so weak that it presented a one-on-one -on -one chance to Kohei Isa, who swept the ball into the net to make it Kofu nil, Oita 2 Kofu's fight back began seven minutes into the second half when a low cross from the right from Riku Matsuda wasn't dealt with very well by the Oita defence and Kazushi Mitsuhira was able to fire in from about 12 yards. It was 2-2 in the 70th minute after an own goal from Oita centre-back Pereira. He headed the ball up and over his own goalkeeper when Sota Mura sent a high ball into the visitors' penalty area. And five minutes after that goal, Kofu looks set to complete the turnaround when they were awarded a penalty. Mitsuhira's through ball sent Peter Utaka racing clear into the Oita half. And when he tried to go around visiting goalkeeper Konoski Nishikawa, who was actually on as a substitute, uh, the starting goalkeeper Teixeira had gone off injured earlier on, Utaka was brought down for a penalty... But Utaka's terrible spot kick was easily saved by Nishikawa. Really uncharacteristically poor technique from Utaka. So Kofu wasted a chance to go in front, but then won it with another penalty in the 84th minute. A rash tackle from Tsukasa Umesaki sent Mura crashing to the ground inside the box. Uh, the penalty was given uh, correctly, and this time Motoki Hasegawa made no mistake, and it was 3-2. So Kofu 3, Oita 2 was the final score, and Oita's dreadful recent run of form continues. Despite going 2-0 up in this game, uh, they ended up losing, but they're still only a point adrift of the top six, despite their recent struggles. As mentioned, Jeff Chiba, a level on points with Okayama and Kofu, after doing just about enough to beat Akita at Fukuda Denshi Arena, it finished Jeff Chiba 2, Akita 1. Jeff got off to a great start, taking the lead in just the third minute, when Dudu volleyed in a right-wing cross from Issei Takahashi from about 14 yards. The visitors levelled with a stunning goal five minutes before half-time though, after good work from Takuma Mizutani and Keita Saito, 
Junkie Hatta was on hand to lash in an unstoppable shot into the top corner from just inside the penalty area. So 1-1 at the break. And the goal that proved to be the winner came 12 minutes into the second half. It was a painful one for Akita defender Ryota Takada as he scored an own goal, diverting another cross from Takahashi past his own keeper, Kentaro Kakoi. After that, Kakoi made a good block to prevent Dudu from making it 3-1, and Akita had their chances at the other end too. Ryuji Saito rattled the home side's crossbar with a flying header, and right at the death, Yukihito Kajia volleyed an excellent chance over the bar from just inside the six-yard box. So Jeff Chiba 2, Akita 1 was the final score. Four straight wins for Jeff, it's not often we get to say that, and Akita are now 17th, Seven points clear of the relegation zone, but are out of form at the moment. Uh, they still have some work to do to ensure survival. Staying at the wrong end of the J2 table, there was another disappointing defeat for second bottom Kanazawa, who stayed two points adrift of safety. They lost 3-0 away at Mito. Kanazawa were no match for Mito in the first half of this game, and they had an early warning in just the second minute, when Keita Buanika nearly scored with a free header, Mito did go in front in the 11th minute though, after some comedy defending from the away side. A right wing cross wasn't dealt with effectively, and the ball eventually hit Masaya Kojima in the face. Goalkeeper Yuto Shirai slipped, and with the ball trundling harmlessly into the back of the net by itself, Mizuki Ando followed in to make sure and put Mito ahead. It was 2-0 in the 33rd minute after a Mito counter-attack. Buanika, in a prone position on the turf, did brilliantly to head the ball to Hidetoshi Takeda, and he picked out Ando with a low cross from the left. Ando fired in from about 14 yards for 2-0. And before half-time it was 3, Ando completing his hat-trick with a routine header from a corner. So the game was pretty much done, but in the second half Kanazawa rallied, and Mito's keeper Rui Yamaguchi made a couple of really good saves, uh, but there was no way back for Masaki Yanagishita's men, and it finished Mito 3, Kanazawa 0. Three defeats in a row for Kanazawa, that keeps them in deep trouble. Meanwhile, Mito are a full 10 points clear of the relegation zone in 13th. Uh, they've come into form at just the right time. Kumamoto are another side in deep trouble in 20th, two points ahead of Kanazawa, and they were also beaten in round 34, 2-0 at home by Fujieda. In this game, Kumamoto survived a goal scramble on the half hour when the ball came back off the post. And at the other end, Rimu Matsuoka should have put Kumamoto in front, but somehow failed to connect properly with Takia Shimamura's cross. In the second half, Ken Yamura rattled the Kumamoto crossbar around the hour mark, and that was the home side's last warning as Fujieda took the lead in the 69th minute. A corner was headed back across goal by Kento Nishia for Keisuke Ogasawara to fire high into the roof of the net from about 12 yards. And it was 2-0 seven minutes later. Yamura and Anderson did well to keep possession inside the Kumamoto penalty area, and Anderson laid the ball off for Akiyuki Yokoyama to put in a shot from the edge of the box. Off balance, Yokoyama's shot fell perfectly into the path of Ryosuke Hisadomi, and he controlled the bouncing ball and slammed it into the net via the crossbar at close range. So it was Kumamoto nil, Fujieda 2. Fujieda keeper Kitamura made a smart save with his legs from a late Rei Hirakawa effort, but the visitors held on comfortably to pick up their first win in nine matches and end a run of four straight defeats. Fujieda are 16th in the table at the moment, eight points clear of the relegation zone now, so this was a vital win for them.
And lastly, from the weekend, Tokushima's excellent form continued with a fairly comfortable 2-0 home win over Iwaki. Midway through the first half at Pokari Sweat Stadium, the home side took the lead. Luismi Quesada's deep cross from the left was headed back across goal and into the net by Ryoga Ishio. Tokushima had to wait until the 90th minute to make the point safe with a second goal, and again it was scored by a defender. This time, Iwaki just couldn't clear a cross from the right flank, and the ball fell to Kohei Uchida. Just inside the penalty area, he slammed the ball through a crowd of bodies and into the back of the net for 2-0. So the final score was Tokushima 2, Iwaki 0. Tokushima are 8 points clear of the relegation places in 14th, with Iwaki 3 points behind them in 18th, uh, so that just demonstrates what an important win this was for Tatsuma Yoshida's men. Okay, that's all the round 34 J2 action taken care of, I think. Please stay tuned. In a moment, you'll hear my conversation with Daniel Kurada, and uh, we went deep on Vivar and Nagasaki, as well as previewing the weekend's round 35 game. So my chat with Daniel is coming up next. J2, it's your time. Welcome back everyone, John Steele here again, and for some J2 analysis, I'm joined by a very special guest, uh, the first time in a while, I think, for uh, Daniel Kuroda to come onto the pod. Uh, Daniel, how's it going? I'm really good, John, thank you. It's it's nice to be back, uh, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, sorry sorry. it's been uh, 12 months, as you, you reminded me just before we started recording. <laughs> I didn't realise it had been that long, so uh, I apologise. And uh, yeah, you, you didn't do anything wrong last time, Daniel, so don't, don't worry. You, you weren't serving a kind of secret suspension <laughs> or anything like that. So yeah, tr- try and make it more than once a year uh, from uh, from now on. Uh, Daniel, you're our, our go-to uh, guy for, for Nagasaki uh, chat, you know, Nagasaki analysis. And we, James and I on the pod this season haven't talked about Nagasaki too much. So, um, hopefully we can put that right, um, on the pod this week. First of all, I want to hear your thoughts on the Nagasaki game from the weekend, uh, where Vivaren came from a goal down to beat Gunma 2-1 and hold on to fifth place, uh, in the table. Um, obviously a very, very pleasing result, always good to get a win um, after going behind. But um, Daniel, what, what, what did you make of the game at the weekend? Nagasaki 2, Gunma 1. Yeah, so it was, first of all, I have to say it was one of the games where um, Vifaran played really well, especially in the first half. I thought they really deserved to um, to take the lead already. I think they had 15 shots um, at halftime, but I also have to say only two of them were on target, if I'm not mistaken. And um, so I have to say that at halftime, it felt like it was, again, going to be one of those days where Vifaren were just playing really well, creating lots of chances. And in the end, it was going to be like one um, mistake or like uh, something like this and the opponent would score and win the game. And Mm. at the beginning of the second half, it looked like exactly this because Gunma... In the 48th minute, they took the lead after a corner kick. And um, it was like three players of Vifaran went up for the header. And well, I think it was at least three players. And none of them actually got to the ball. And that, But because all of them were in such a crowd, so it left uh, Rio Sato um, completely alone. And he was able to completely unchallenged um, score from close range. And um, this was exactly the type of thing that has happened to us quite often this season and after that the team was a bit i have to say they seemed a bit shocked like after gunma took the lead it felt more like gunma was really taking over and we 
took some time to get back into the game. And then um, what really made a difference then when um, Fabio Carilla made a change um, around the 60th minute, I think he he took out Sawada, who is a winger, and he brought on um, Diop, or I think in in Japanese they call him Jopu, um, our young tall striker. And so we had Ranma and Jopu um, up front, and basically from then we fallen started to create so many chances and um, scored um, the the one one was Juanma in the 64th minute and uh, from the assist by Mateus Jesus and then I think it so far maybe even my my most favorite goal of the season was um, Jopu's two one which was like kind of an overhead kick mm. um, but what I liked the most about this goal was actually um, how it happened like it was Imazu who is actually a a central defender. He won a goal. Uh, he won a free kick um, near the halfway line, I think, on the left side, and he quickly took the the free kick and he passed it to Marcos Guillem, and he passed it on to Juanma. And meanwhile, Imazu just sprinted down on the left side. So it's, it's something, in my opinion, you don't see too often from a from a central defender. Um, but yeah, Juanma found him and passed the ball out to him, and then he hit this cross into the middle to Jopu, and he made this um, overhead kick. So I thought this was just a really beautiful goal. And in the end, um, we had and finished, I think, with with 25 shots and 12 of them on target. And I think it was just such a deserved win, and I was really relieved. Mm. Um, that we got it in the end yeah mm, mm. yeah I, I felt the same about um, just from watching the highlights the first half pretty much was all Nagasaki wasn't it they they kind of just streaming forward uh, in that first period and it was quite surprising that it was nil-nil at the break and then um, mm. you know I, I support a team that, that doesn't always win as well Daniel so I know how it is when, when the away team absorbs a lot of pressure and then goes in front you start thinking okay here we go again you know, it's not going. Yeah. It's not going to be our day. But um, yeah, Nagasaki showed a lot of um, determination, a lot of uh, grit to uh, to turn it round and and get the win. And uh, yeah, that goal from uh, Jop. I'll, I'll go for the full name. I'll, I'll practice it. Selin Saru Jop. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, when I watched it, kind of in real time, I couldn't figure out exactly what he'd done. Um, so mm. I had to watch it again on the replay, and then from the kind of angle behind the goal, and then yeah, it's. Um, yeah, well, I'm still not 100% sure how he did it because I don't think it's something I would be able to do. So it's kind of hard. But um, yeah, it was an absolutely yeah. brilliant finish. <laughs> I yeah. just called it an overhead kick. I don't know if it really was one, but that's just the yeah, best thing. Yeah, it, well, it was. I could. You, you, see, yeah. <laughs> you see, that's interesting because it, it definitely was an overhead kick. Like if we asked uh, an AI to describe what had happened, the AI would say it was an overhead kick. But it wasn't like the kind of jump in. <laughs> I'm not trying to run it down because it was a brilliant goal, but it was almost kind of like an improvised overhead kick mm. because the ball isn't that high up off the ground when he makes contact. He's sort of almost, he isn't jumping to connect with the ball. He's kind of falling or like moving his body mm. backwards. But anyway, um, absolutely fantastic goal. And I think he's got three this season now so yes. he's uh, definitely one definitely one for the future and um, I'm, gonna, I'm sure I'm going to have more chances to pronounce his name um, in the yeah. in the the months and years to come so I'm going to going to keep practicing it I also thought as well it was a good save from uh, Hatano right at the end I think it was uh, Yamanaka mm. had a chance at the at the far post and uh, you know we, we I think Hatano has been mentioned before as being a really important player um, in the squad this year so good good to see him uh, you know helping the team out um, again 
Um, Daniel, how about Nagasaki's season in general? Because as I mentioned on the pod each week, James and I, we, we've name checked Nagasaki. We've reviewed the games. Um, they're fifth in the table. That's pretty good. There's a four, uh, sorry, five point gap. Uh, up to fourth place Tokyo Verde, but they are kind of ahead of the, you know, Nagasaki are kind of a, the leaders of the sort of playoff pack at the moment in fifth. Um, how would you sum up how the season's gone so far? We're, we're 34 games in, we're fifth in the table. That's uh, that's not too bad, is it? I don't know. What, what do you think? Yeah, so if first of all, if we compare it to last season, um, it's definitely an improvement in terms of the position in the table. Um, I think... Also, when I look at the first few results uh, of the season, because Vifaren only got two points from the first f- four games, mm. um, then it's also nice to see that they are like absolutely in in uh, co- competition for the for the playoff spots at least. And um, but on the other side, it was it's been such a roller coaster season, literally, because. Um, they have just gone up and down. So as I said, at the start of the season, they really struggled, barely scored any goals. And then suddenly it was like in week five, um, that was the game when um, the manager, Fabio Carrier, he put basically what is my favorite back four of uh, Masuyama, Kushibiki, Imazu and um, Yoneda. And so then we got a 2-0 away win at Kumamoto. And that's basically the win which kind of gave the team more confidence than the next game. They finally got a home win for the first time in, I think it was six or seven months, maybe even more. Mm. Um, and Juanma got a, got a hat-trick in that game. It was a 3-2 win against Yamagata. So that kind of kicked our season off. And in the following, like, basically, we... Um, managed to get eight wins from nine games and that was a really good run and so I think um, at one point we were just three points behind Machida um, I think it was yeah at the end of week 13 basically we fought and were just three points behind Machida and had the best a uh, second best goal difference in J2 um, mm. but in the 21 games since then basically we fought and have not had any back-to-back wins and um, for a while, really struggled defensively. And um, from week 20 to week 30, conceded actually 20 goals. Mm-hmm. So um, almost around, yeah, nearly two goals per game, I think. So, mm. and the problem is till now, I cannot really tell you like what happened. You know, it was just in the early, early in the season, we struggled to score goals, then we then we scored goals and we were good defensively and then we struggled to defend and but still scored a lot of goals like <laughs> you can see it in the table now we have scored 58 goals and i think conceded 43 so that's a really <laughs> really massive number but um i mm. remember also that when you asked me to record something for uh, like a preview for this season i think one of the things i said that i wanted to see for this year was I wanted to be able to enjoy, like, I just wanted Vifaden to play some good football again. And um, that definitely has been the case. So there are games, like, where they really play unbelievable football. It's um, the best I have seen the team play. And um, the problem is just that sometimes, especially in the last, um, I would say, six weeks, they had three games um, where they basically were up and 
but didn't manage to win them in the end. And one of them was, for example, Tochigi. You know, we led 1-0 at halftime and lost 2-1 at home. It was also mm -hmm. like Akino got a red card in that game. So that also pl played a role, but still, um, I still don't think we should have lost that game. You know, if it was a draw, okay, but not, not lose it. Mm. And um, yeah, so overall, there have been basically positives and negatives about the season. Mm. Um, one thing that I really like is just how well this team um, how can I say it? Like these players seem to be really close to each other. It's like you never see them give up in any game. They always really fight for everything. And um, yeah, the negative on the other hand is probably like this kind of game management that they don't manage to see off games sometimes. Mm. And um, I, um, to be honest, personally, I think that is also maybe because of the manager. And um, sometimes I, str I still struggle to, to understand what Fabio Carrillo is doing in some cases. Yeah. Mm. And mm. another positive thing I would, I would say is just that this year we, we really nailed all the, the transfers that came in. So, I mean, bringing back Juanma has worked out so well. He is about to break the club record for scoring in a single season. Um, then Masuyama, he has become, he is a real leader on the pitch and has put, has also been involved in many goals. And Hatano is, he came on loan from, uh, the goalkeeper Hatano, he came on loan from FC Tokyo. And he is definitely the best goalkeeper I have seen at Vifaren in the mm. last years. Goal, goalkeeper was always a, a problem. And, and this season, for once, I'm, I don't have to be worried when a cross comes in or, you know, <laughs> there are no, like, he, he doesn't give me a headache like Tokushige and Takagiwa and all these guys did. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's good. It sounds like there are, there are quite a lot of positives. Um, and I think, you know, based on what I remember about watching Nagasaki last year and, and the, the, the league table from, you know, this time last season, I think there's there's been some definite improvement, hasn't there? I was interested in your comments about the manager, uh, Daniel, about Fabio uh, Carrier, because something that James and I have talked about a few times on the pod, or I'm not sure if it's ever been in the segments that we actually put out. It might have been in the green room beforehand or, or, or being edited, but um, it's difficult to know if um, Fabio Carrier is kind of making the most of the resources that he has at Nagasaki because I, I feel like um, they're definitely a, a playoff level team uh, and they're in the playoff places at the moment so I suppose he's he's doing pretty well with with the tools that he's got but um this is his first full season in charge isn't it he took over kind of in the, the towards the end of last season and um, the results weren't that that great but now he's had a, a full kind of pre-season you know this is his squad and and things are slightly better how would you um I don't know if you want to give him a, a mark out of ten or a kind of A B C grade, but yeah, what what what, what are your what are your feelings about Fabio Carilli as as manager? So I I mean he started last season in July, so um, and like his tenure started relatively positive. I think I think we were unbeaten for um, seven to nine games maybe, and um, but then for the rest of the season, like as I said, like we fought and didn't win a home game from june or july 2022 until march of this year so um but i from the beginning i also wanted them to give him a chance because also he came with some kind of pedigree with his previous success especially at corinthians and um yeah it's i am kind of torn 
still about him because um, on one hand, I think that it really speaks also for him that the, like you never see the team really give up. You 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 know they are. It's not like they are just um, how to say. Um, it's not like where how you how people sometimes say maybe the team is not playing against mm. the manager, but they are also mm. not playing for him. Mm. Like this is would also not apply for Vifaden. Like these players are always there, hundred percent, and they start every game so motivated, and they are really a close group. I think mm. um, the problem is just sometimes, in my opinion, the tactics that mm. um, maybe I am wondering, for example, if he try if he's trying a bit too much when we have games like against Machida uh, where we lost 4-1 and against Yamagata we lost 5-1 and these games were it felt like he was just out coached from the beginning mm. like um, you know they, the other managers just knew what was coming or he, did, he tried something that just didn't work mm. against these opponents so and that's sometimes something that bothers me. I cannot 100% tell you what style of football we fought and actually uh, playing. Mm. You know, mm. they are trying to be like they are entertaining. They score a lot of goals, but um, it's too much up and down for me to say mm. um, we are really like a team that wants to play possession football or we are a team that um, wants to play counter-attacking football. It's mm. I still cannot say 100. But um, yeah, one thing I, I also wonder about is um, just sometimes the, the the teams the team he chooses like his rotations. Um, like we brought in Carlos Gutierrez from Machida in August, mm. um, the Spanish uh, central defender. And first of all, I didn't understand why we did this because we have quite many defenders, and we actually sent Kaike Mafaldo out on loan to Omiya. And mm. I didn't understand that because I thought he is actually a quite good defender. So anyway, we sent him out on loan to bring in Gutierrez. And then Gutierrez is uh, starts his first two games, like right away. Like he arrived on a Wednesday and he played right away the next two games. And we conceded five goals in those two games. And he often had like, you could see that he was arguing with Hatano. Mm. So there was something not working with the communication maybe as well. And mm. so... He started the first two games he was there, and since then he wasn't even on the matchday squad anymore. So this is a bit confusing, to be honest. And obviously, right now we have so many players on the squad who were there already in 2018, uh, 17 and 18. And so we brought in Keita Nakamura, and we have Juanma, and um, Yoneda is still there, of course, and Sawada. So it just makes me wonder... Um, like, did he want, did Carrillo want these players, or was it just that there were the connections with Takuya Takagi, who is at the club again now, and um, that the club just brought these players in because they could, mm. and but maybe they don't really fit into his system because um, he struggles to really use these players in the best way but my hope is that now like in the last few weeks like as i said we still haven't won back-to-back -back games since um basically match uh, round 13 but at least in the last few weeks um the results have stabilized a bit and our defense looks a bit better so mm. i really hope that now 
um, things are settled a bit more because we have some massive games coming up. Yeah. So if he's if he's still unsure now, then um, it's it's kind of really like it can be a massive disaster now if if he starts to change things around or is too unsure about certain things. Um, it could happen that we still fall out of the playoff uh, mm. picture actually. Mm. But mm. if things work well, we still play against. Um, against Iwata and against Machida so we have some massive games still coming up mm, mm. if if things work well I think like I'm not afraid of any other team in J2 I think um, in the playoffs if it's just one game mm, we, we have a chance against most of the other teams I would say mm, mm. so not that I think 100% we will beat anyone in the playoffs, but um, I am confident enough about the quality of the squad to say that if we, if the manager can manage to, um, like, to get his tactics sorted, um, yeah, I think mm. at least we have we have a decent chance to mm. make it. Well, I think I'd agree. I think Nagasaki do have a very strong squad and a very big squad as well, as as you mentioned, in terms of personnel. So um, just on that point, how do you feel about being in fifth place with, with eight games left to play, Daniel? I mean, you, you mentioned there's still games against the top two, Machida and Iwata, to come. But um, for me, you know, I've... I've stared at many a J2 league table um, in, in the last decade or so, and it feels like automatic promotion is probably, uh, that's probably a bit too much to, to, to kind of hope for or aim for with eight games left. But con- consolidating and making sure that Nagasaki finish in the playoffs seems seems perfectly realistic and, and even likely. Do you, would you go along with that? Do you think finishing, um, I guess my question is, would you be happy finishing fifth? Um, this season, would, would that would that be a good a good finish from from your point of view? Yes, I mean a few weeks ago we even dropped to seventh place, I think. So, mm. and right now, I mean, just realistically, you know, we are five points behind fourth place, but we are only three points behind. Uh, we are only three points in front of sixth place, mm. and mm. only four points in front of ninth place. So, it would be. Mm. I it it's just how to say like the possibility that we would mm. um, yeah you're you're closer I'm, I'm, closer to the yeah, we are the close, edge of the yeah, playoffs exactly. and, and the automatic promotion and places yeah. behind us it's much everything is so close and so many teams are there with the same number of points um, right now I would be totally fine with finishing fifth mm. and um, yeah personally I think Matida I don't see them messing that up anymore now they still have a game in hand and i also think that um iwata personally i think iwata or shimizu will be in second place i also like verdi but somehow i i think verdi will be one of the playoff teams as well and then behind us it's actually like uh, if i hope vifaren can finish fifth place and then it will be so interesting to see who else will be there because right now it's really you cannot tell. It's like until eleventh place, anybody has a has a decent chance to become sixth in the end. Mm. So yeah, we just spoke about Gunma. They have forty eight points. They are three points behind sixth place, and they have two games in hand. So um, yeah. it's going to be very interesting. <laughs> yeah, I think um, yeah. Again, it's another kind of um, 
another kind of reminder of just how much value the the, the playoffs kind of add to mm-hmm. the, the the end of season running. You know, because we're we're not just fighting; the teams aren't just fighting over yeah. three three places. I mean, you, you can see. I mean, if you just take a quick look, we we were talking about J three a little bit, weren't we, before we started. Uh, our mm. recording and then and then that would be an, a, a really interesting kind of playoff tussle if if sixth place meant anything but this year again in J3 is just the top two that will go up uh, automatically so yeah having the playoffs just makes it really exciting and I think I probably agree with you I can't see Machida um, dropping out of the top two now I think it's probably between Iwata and Shimizu for second although I'm sure Verdi supporters might have something to say about that but I think Verdi looking good for the playoffs they've been up there all season um, so it's not you know I don't expect them to fall away with, with eight games left to play and then I think yeah from from Nagasaki down there's like what eight teams it's probably eight or nine teams that might be mm-hmm. thinking um, they, they have a chance of getting into the top six so we could be in for a really exciting run and even down to the final day um, you know, there, there might be one or two playoff places still up for grabs, even going into the kind of round 42, um, you know, kickoff time. So, uh, yeah, mm. very, very exciting stuff. And, uh, yeah, I hope uh, I hope Nagasaki can hold on, uh, Daniel, because I'd really like to talk to you again about, a, a, you know, a playoff, uh, a playoff match uh, in, in, in uh, late November. Uh, this year, I, I would so. be up for that for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's let's we'll we'll we'll, we'll try and uh, we'll schedule it now. I don't know if that will that jinx it if we if we talk about it. I wish we should probably talk about something else. But um, anyway, uh, Daniel, anything else you wanted to, to to say about Nagasaki or about about J two in general this season? In a moment, I'm going to ask you to help me to to preview the the, the games coming up this weekend in round thirty five. But um, it, it's quite rare that the the listeners get to hear you. Um, you know, hear your view. So anything else that you wanted to point out or, or mention, Nagasaki or otherwise? Yeah, I, I just want to say that um, this season, I from for me personally, it's more exciting if my team is um, competing for a playoff spot than in other seasons because these playoffs, with the way they have been set up with um, and also with this strange rule that, you know, the lower-seeded team has to have an away game and has to win Mm. And you know that a, a draw is enough for the home team and for the higher seeded team to to go through. Mm. Um, this has always been quite kind of demotivating for me when it came to the playoffs, especially um, with the final of the playoffs being a J2 team against the J1 team. Mm. And um, since this is going to not be the case this season, so it's basically like it will be only J2 teams in the playoffs, mm-hmm. um, I guess... I am not 100% sure that the away game, the rule is still the same, isn't it? I think so, it's the same, yes. Yes, yeah. I think so. So it's still kind of... I'm I'm still not a fan of this at all. That, for example, if Vifaren are fifth and they play against Shimizu, um, then Vifaren will have to have an away win in Shimizu to make it. But um, it's still more... How to say? It's simply more realistic to, to do this um, mm. Than to still go one step further and then have a away win against the J J one team mm. in the end. So for me personally, it's more I'm more excited about the playoffs this year if we if we make it in the end. Mm. No, that's good yeah. to hear. That's good to hear. We we you know there's <laughs> a lot of positivity about. Um, I think there can sometimes be a sense of you know obviously automatic promotion is is. Uh, more definite so that's the goal and then teams can be disappointed to be to be thrown into the playoffs where it's a bit more random but I, I think it's it, it's really exciting and like you said three teams will be promoted this year the two the, the top two will go up automatically and then yeah the, the 
the winners of the J2 playoffs don't have to play a, a stupid away game against a team from mm. from J1 that's been given you know another chance to to save themselves after a poor season. Exactly. So um, <laughs> yeah, so I think I think that's I, I agree with you. I also would prefer the playoffs to be even more kind of evenly weighted and, and get rid of this. Um, it's not really an away goals rule, is it? It's a home goals rule or a ho- home exactly. advantage. But um, yeah, perhaps <laughs> that will come. Yeah, I think one one thing about the J-League um, that we've learned down the years is they're not afraid to make changes. And that can sometimes be good and sometimes be bad. I mean, I've been reading the news again this week that the um, the Levan Cup is going to have some changes next season to be, you know, presumably straight knockout and all three divisions mm-hmm. being involved. That's a, to me on the face of it, that sounds like a positive um, yes. change. So um, yeah, I do think um, not always, but compared to some other uh, leagues, the, the J League does respond to uh, fan, you know, criticism or, or supporter feedback. And uh, yeah, maybe the playoffs will eventually um, look a little bit different. But yes, I think I think this is definitely. I think you're right, Danny. I think this the version of the playoffs that we've got this season is the best it's been so far. So uh, yeah, long long may that long may that continue. So, so if if I just may add something now, if mm. I think about it, mm. then um, actually I would like if we far manage to make it to the playoffs. I hope they get maybe one home game because um, as far as I know, it's going. As far as I know, the new stadium will be ready from the start of next season. Mm, mm. So it would be nice just to have like a playoff game at Transcosmos Stadium as a I mean obviously it would be bad if it's a, if we lose it but if we c- could have a, a home game even in the playoffs mm. and maybe get a win there that would also be a nice thing. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But it's... anyway, it's still a way to go until then and yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't yes. want to get ahead of myself. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Well, we, we since we've we've already booked our playoff chat for a couple of months' time. We we really uh, yeah we're really sort of tempting fate here, aren't we? But um yeah, I yes. think I think you're right about the new stadium. I uh, periodically um sort of pictures of it pop up on my um my Twitter feed or my my X feed. I'm actually not not using it that much at the moment because it's uh, usually adverts for a. Uh, for gambling or um, ladies with not many clothes on with a funny, funny uh, usernames. But um, yeah, it looks like the new stadium will be ready. And uh, wouldn't it be amazing if they're, they're kicking off, you know, 2024 in a brand new stadium in, uh, in, in, in J1. But um, let's, uh, we should probably get, we're getting ahead of ourselves, uh, Daniel, as you, as you pointed out. So um, let's, let's get back to, uh, back to the basics, back to the, the nitty gritty. How about the, um, the round 35 uh, J2 slate coming up this weekend? Um, Daniel, I'll run through the fixtures first of all, and then uh, get your comments on the ones that you think um, listeners should, should keep a close eye on. So for round 35, we actually start off with a Friday night um, J2, don't we? Kofu hosting Tokyo Verdi at 7pm at the JIT Recycling Stadium. So this is 7th place hosting 4th and this is because Kofu have got a midweek ACL game, Asian Champions League game coming up. So their their game's been moved forward to Friday night. And then on Saturday, uh, this is September the 16th, uh, just one game in the afternoon at 2pm, but it's one you're going to have a close eye on, I think, Daniel. Nagasaki go away to Akita, so that's the team in 5th visiting 17th. There's then three games at 6pm on Saturday. So Sendai against Mito, that's 15th, hosting 13th. Uh, a game which, I mean, is just absolutely massive at the bottom of the table. Omiya against Kumamoto, 22nd, uh, hosting 20th. Omiya surely have got to win uh, this game. Otherwise, they, um, well, they've been in real trouble for ages, but, you know, even more trouble. 
Uh, also at 6pm on Saturday, it's Yamagata against Okayama. So the team in 6th visit the team in 11th. There are three games at 7pm on Saturday, including 2nd place Iwata at home to 19th place Yamaguchi and Tochigi in 12th hosting Jeff Chiba, another team who might have a one eye on the playoffs because they're in 8th. Also a game at 7pm is Oita against Tokushima. So Oita slipped down to 9th in the table and uh, Tokushima in good form have risen up to 14th. So 9th versus 14th at the Resonac Dome. And to round off the weekend, there are three games on Sunday, September the 17th, two games at 6pm, Fujieda against Machida. So the leaders Machida go away to 16th place Fujieda. An important game for second bottom Kanazawa as well at 6pm. They host third place Shimizu. Uh, Yeah, uh, I hope wish James all the best with that one. I think it's going to be a tough game, tough game for James and Victor, I think. And then rounding off the schedule at 7pm on Sunday, it's Gunma against Iwaki. So 10th place uh, hosting 18th uh, at Shoulder Stadium. Uh, Daniel, I ran through the games quite quickly there, but um, perhaps we should talk about Nagasaki going to Akita. Um, on the face of it, a team in 5th visiting a team in 17th um, is a good chance of an away win. But Akita, <laughs> very rugged uh, opponent, not easy to play against at all. How are you feeling about the, uh, the game away at Akita on uh, Saturday? Yeah, it's. I agree that it's. Um, I, to be honest, I rather have games against um, t- teams from the from the upper half of the table mm. because um, we just struggle in those in those games against teams that are like kind of sit back a bit more. Mm. And um, I think yeah, when we spoke earlier, I, I mentioned that we had recently like four games in a row against teams um, who were. Um, in re- in the relegation battle, mm. and um, yeah, we had four games and we only won one of them, mm-hmm. and so we struggle against teams that that are that sit back against us. And Akita has always been for Vifada and a, a, a tough opponent, I think. Like we we beat them four two early in the season, but that was the only time so far that we actually managed to really really beat them like this. And um, so I expect a tough game anyway. I wouldn't be as surprised if we if we only got a draw, to be honest. Mm, mm, yeah. Yeah. And um, any then, other yeah any other games that you you think look uh, intriguing on the on the slate for round thirty five? Yeah, just for the promotion or the the playoff battle. Obviously, the, the Kofu against Verdi already on Friday. That should be interesting. Um, I mean, Kofu. I don't. We don't know. Um, we spoke earlier. Like, what is going to be their strategy um, with the A? Um, how was it called? ACL. ACL. Yeah. 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 The, the Asian Champions League, of course. With the Champions League, like, um, are they going to rest players in J2 then, or what are they going to do? So, and Verdi are obviously one of the strongest uh, away teams in J2. So. Yeah, this should be a decent one. And the other one, uh, which is about the playoffs, is uh, Yamagata against um, Okayama. Mm. I guess this is also a, a big game because Okayama is in sixth and uh, Yamagata is, is 11th right now. But they are only three points apart. Mm. So mm. this is going to be interesting. And mm. yeah, as you said, Omiya against Kumamoto, that is just massive. I mean... Yeah, it's as much as it hurts. I have to say, like the teams, like the bottom four of J two right now, I don't want any of them to get relegated. Mm. Um, but it definitely feels like, like this is really the last shot for Omiya if they don't win this. Mm. I I also don't see any way out of this. I mean, it's just this case where you say, like, if they don't win this game, then 
then when are they going to win any games anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. How about you? Or do you have any other ones that, yeah. that are interesting to you? Yeah, I think that's maybe um, just staying with the the playoff picture for a second. Tochigi against Jeff Chiba. I mean, mm-hmm. we we basically stopped talking about Jeff on the pod um, because we were just <laughs> saying the same things, you know, every every season. But they are sort of suddenly eighth, and they mm-hmm. they're right on the edge of the playoffs. And I I don't think hmm, I don't think they're as they've got as good a squad as Nagasaki or Okayama, for example, but. It might be the case that just a team in good form can just sneak in to that top six mm-hmm. um, at the end of the season. And, and oh yeah, go ahead, Daniel. Yeah, we actually play them on the last day mm. of the season, match day forty-two. So, mm. and it's a it's a home game for Jeff. So I was also I have been looking at that in the last yeah. few weeks and thinking already this could be mm. a really big big so that, one that, at that, the end of the season. That that might mm. be the equivalent of a kind of playoff shootout at, at Transcosmos mm. to, to to round off round off Nagasaki's time. Yeah, there. I don't know. Um, however, um, I would argue against that that Tochigi away is exactly the kind of game that Jeff would traditionally get wrong and lose <laughs> about three one. And I believe this game's been played at the Green Stadium in Tochigi rather than Kanseki. Mm-hmm. So. Um, you know, but fans a bit closer to the pitch, maybe a bit more mm-hmm. atmosphere to transmit to the players. If Jeff can manage that game and come away with a one nil win, two nil win, I might start to be a believer that, that they might be a top Ooh. six team this season. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm really, um, really sticking my neck out on that one. And uh, again, staying with the playoffs, Oita against Tokushima, ninth against 14th. Oita have been in pretty rotten form. Um, over the last couple of, well, at least a month, maybe two, and they've slipped down from being, you know, they, they were third and fourth for a while, now they're ninth, and they're still kind of in the thick of, of that playoff, um, you know, bunch of teams. But if they if they don't start winning again soon, I think they're going to end up blowing their, their chance of a top six finish. So they'll be desperate to win against Tokushima. But suddenly, uh, from nowhere, Tokushima, I think, uh, at least five games unbeaten, maybe more, and uh, they've, uh, you know, they're they're looking quite handy. So it won't be an easy game for Oita by any stretch of the imagination. I think Tokushima might might fancy their chances as well. So um, yeah, they are six, six games unbeaten. Six now. games unbeaten, yeah. And considering, you know, for a while they were they were rock bottom, uh, and mm-hmm. you know they were in a sort of the shall we call it the Omiya position? That sounds a bit mean, but um, you know what I mean. <laughs> they were they were playing the Omiya role for the first few months of the season. To see them up in fourteenth and clearly going to survive i think now the relegation uh, fears are beyond them so that they, they're probably playing with a lot more freedom and uh that you know oita will have the pressure on them in that game i'm interested to see if they can deal with that and uh kind of win and get themselves right back right back into the playoff zone so yeah tochigi jeff and oita tokushima um probably games that i would be uh, looking at but to be honest, as usual, I think there's something of interest with with still with eight games to go. There's so many teams in with a kind of chance of a, a top six finish. There's, there's plenty to enjoy or plenty to uh, to keep an eye on. I think at the at the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Daniel, thanks so much for your for your analysis and for coming on. It's uh, yeah, we we should try and get you on more than once a year, really, and I will work on that. Um, you know, for, for next time, hopefully we'll get you on maybe at least once more this year to, to talk about Nagasaki, uh, you know, triumphantly uh, surging into the playoffs <laughs> and uh, and how that goes. But um, yeah, thank, thanks so much for, for joining me for this pod. It's really nice to uh, really nice to chat. 
Yeah, thank you too, John. It was really nice. And yeah, talk to you soon, I hope. Yes, fantastic. Fantastic. Thanks, Daniel. Brilliant. Uh, okay, for now, um, I think Daniel and I are going to leave J2 here for this week. But uh, as always, uh, please stay tuned and uh, don't uh, don't go anywhere because in a moment, uh, Mike Innes is going to be along. He has a J Talk short corner for you. All of the latest news from a very exciting uh, round of J3 games uh, as usual. So yeah, please stay tuned. And uh, yeah, here comes Mike. Hello everyone and welcome to JTalk Short Corner, the mini-pod that keeps you up to date with events in J3 of the J-League. I'm your host Mike Innes and in this episode I'll be looking back on fixtures in round 26 of the J3 season as well as previewing the round 27 matches coming up this weekend. There were nine games on Saturday the 9th and Ehime FC moved nine points clear at the top with a home win over Azul Claro Numazu. Up against a visiting defence without Terukazu Shinozaki who ruptured his ACL in round 24, the Mighty Mikans won this one thanks to their incisive attacking play. For the 18th minute opener, a four-man move down the left cut open the Numazu backline. Shunsuke Motegi crossing low to the near post for Diki Matsuda to finish. He's now on 11 for the season. The hosts went 2-0 up on 56 minutes. Yuta Fukazawa winning a loose ball in midfield, exchanging passes with Taiga Ishiura and racing into the box from where he centred for substitute Shunpei Fukuhari to score. Azul Klano couldn't handle the J3 leaders' pace and movement, a point underlined midway through the second half when Takuto Kimura surged down the flank and cut it back for Ishiura, who had both time and options, setting up Motegi to shoot low into the bottom corner. The visitors did manage a consolation in injury time, Noah Kinshin Brown picking up on Kengo Kawamata's header, holding off Reya Morishita and drilling his shot inside the far post. Final score Ehime 3, Numazu 1, arguably Ehime's most comprehensive victory of the season. Kiyotaka Ishimaru is blooding good young players in a winning team. Is it too early to say they have a foot in J2? Three defeats in a row now for Azul Claro, and their moment in the sun seems to be fading into the shadows as they drop to sixth. Moving into second behind Ehime are FC Osaka, who departed Iwate Guruja Morioka with their best away result of the season. The J-League newcomers took the lead in only the 10th minute, Rikuto Kubo playing it in from the left for the unmarked Takahiro Kitsui, who 35 yards out unleashed a screamer into the top left-hand corner. Guruja coach Yoshika Matsubara made four changes for this one, including first starts in the white shirt for two of their recent veteran signings, Kota Fukatsu at centre-back and Daigo Nishi in an unfamiliar attacking midfield role, 
but it was an underwhelming performance from the Paper Cranes. And they fell further behind with 23 minutes to go, Fukatsu not able to cut out Takeru Itakura's cross, leaving Naoki Tanaka to tap in at the far post. The points were wrapped up in the 86th minute, Shunsuke Tachino heading in unchallenged, a Keita Hidaka corner kick. Nishi glanced a late header off the outside of the post, but there was to be no consolation here. Final score, Iwate nil, Osaka 3. Gruja have conceded three goals in consecutive home games, but unlike last week, they deserved nothing here and dropped to 13th. Ryo Shigaki's Osaka have the air of a squad all pulling in the same direction, which is enough to see them into the promotion places. Just behind them, jumping back up to third, go Kagoshima United, who under new coach Yasuaki Oshima pulled off an easy win at SC Sagamihara. Didn't start too easily though, Kagoshima keeper Kenta Matsuyama having to make spectacular saves to deny both Yuto Minakuchi and Yuji Senema inside the first two minutes. The smoking volcanoes went in front in the 22nd minute, the moment every Kagoshima fan has been waiting for all year, as Rei Yonezawa ran on to a long ball from Junki Goryo, cut inside Minakuchi and fired right-footed inside the far post. A first goal of 2023 for club legend Yonezawa following his ACL injury last November. His team were 2-0 ahead by half-time. They were speedy on the counter-attack before Goryo crossed for Jin Hanato to sweep in from eight yards. After their early chances, Sagami Hana couldn't come close to scoring and conceded again with seven minutes left. A corner kick headed clear by Minakuchi, only for Kangoshima left-back Hiroya Nodake to chest it down and hammer in an unstoppable volley from the edge of the area. Final score, Sagami had a nil, Kagoshima three. The Green and Blacks three-game winning run comes to an end, though who knows how this one might have played out if they got themselves an early goal, they stay 19th. Kagoshima returning to contention under Oshima, just a point outside the top two. But down at the bottom of the table, what about Sagami Hana's nearest rivals? FC Ryukyu, YSCC Yokohama and Wooden Spooners Giravance Kitakyushu. Giravance, following last week's defeat to FC Imabari, finally parted company with coach Kazuaki Tasaka, reappointing previous incumbent Shinji Kobayashi, who's been in a director of football role at the club. And at home to Vanrare Hachinohe, Kobayashi had an instant impact, the Sunflowers winning their first game in five. Yuki Okada the hero with two first half goals, opening the scoring in the 14th minute when he picked up a loose ball on the edge of the area and fired in a shot which hit the post and bounced back over the line off keeper Yusuke Taniguchi. Still, if there's any team that could do with a bit of luck at the moment, it's Kitakyushu. Playing with notably more urgency than under Tasaka, they made it 2-0 six minutes before the break, drawing the mistake from the high press, Okada receiving the pass from Shun Hirayama and finishing well with a low-angled shot. 
Van Rane's best chance came 20 minutes from the end. A powerful shot from sub Oriola Sunday, bringing a good near post save out of Kenshin Yoshimaru. And a game to forget for the visitors concluded with a straight red card for Daisuke Inazumi, who having been caught in possession, brought down Yuki Nakayama. Dogso, said the referee. Final score, Kitakushu 2, Hachinohe 0. A reshuffle and tactical change by Kobayashi paying dividends. Giravance stay last, but close the gap on Sagamihana to three points. Van Rane's away form is normally a lot better than this. A first defeat in four, although they stay ninth. Meanwhile, Ryukyu missed the opportunity to put points between them and Sagamihara as they lost at Matsumoto Yamaga. Tetsuhiro Kina's team fell behind with 11 minutes left in the first half. Defender Takeyuki Fukumura blocking Ren Komatsu's effort, but the ball ricocheting to Kaiga Murakoshi, who sent snapshot inside the post from eight yards. The hosts had chances to extend their lead, but Ryukyu pulled level 12 minutes into the second half. Somewhat out of nowhere, Ryunosuke Noda producing a superb angled chip over Tomohiko Murayama, seemingly because he couldn't think of anything else to do at the time. The visitors could have gone in front on a counter-attack only for Murayama to block the shot from Kodai Nagano, who was through on goal. And they fell victim to a sucker punch in the 79th minute. Murakoshi hurling in the long throw. Masato Tokida's glancing header floating beyond keeper Junto Taguchi for Yusuke Kikui to score at the far post. Final score, Matsumoto 2, Ryukyu 1. A welcome win for Yamaga, although they seem to be stuck in 10th at the moment. Six points outside the promotion slots. Ryukyu remain 18th, now only five points better off than Kitakyushu. And YSCC also suffered an away defeat at Gainane Totori. Dramatic start to this one, YSCC keeper Jun Kodama conceding a penalty inside the opening two minutes for bringing down Yuta Togashi, only to save Togashi's spot kick. But the visitors did go behind on 13 minutes. Gainare debutant Mio Tsuneyasu sending in a superb curling cross for Togashi to bury the header. Hiroto Domato should have equalised with a header in first half injury time, but overall Kodama was the busier of the keepers, saving brilliantly from ex-YSCC forward Yusuke Yoshi and tipping Mun Inju's long-range drive round the post. He couldn't keep out Totori's second, though. An exquisite volley from Keita Tanaka, direct from Makoto Fukuoin's corner kick. In a week of excellent goals, this one is something extra special. Gainada keeper Koshiro Itohara dived to keep out Sukai Numata's 20-yard shot in the 89th minute, and the deal was sealed. Final score, Totori 2, YSCC 0. A comfortable enough win after two away defeats for Gainari, who jump one place to 11th. YSCC slip one place to 17th, two points better off than Ryukyu. Extra time. 
Elsewhere this week, Fukushima United's eight-game unbeaten run under August Coach of the Month Mitsumasa Yoda came to an end at home to AC Nagano Paseiro. For Nagano, this was a first win under their new coach, Niki Takagi, a victory that came about thanks to Yuta Sato's 15th-minute goal. Good combination play from Yasufumi Nishimura and Takashi Kondo. Sato left in space to finish from 10 yards. The lead was preserved thanks to a point-blank save by Kim Minho from Ryo Shiohama's goal-bound header. It was almost 2-0 through Hayate Sugi's shot, cleared off the line by Makoto Kawanish. Final score though, Fukushima 0, Nagano 1. The home side playing for the first time without defensive linchpin Shun Obu. Possibly significant when it comes to that sloppy goal they conceded to drop to 14th. For Paseiro, Takagi has quickly made changes and they're proving, can we say, unexpectedly successful. They're level on points with Fukushima in 15th. Nara Club and FC Imabari played out a perhaps inevitable draw at Nara's Roto Field. Goalless first half in this one, although Tatsuma Sakai did hit the outside of the post for the home side late on. Five minutes into the second period, Imabari took the lead. The tried and trusted combination of Marcus Vinicius and Kantachiba again serving them well. Marcus running onto a long ball down the right cutting inside Tetsuya Kato and unselfishly setting up Chiba for a left foot finish. John Ander Serantes tipped over a rocket from Kensei Nakashima as Nana pushed for an equaliser, which arrived with 10 minutes left. Kei Ikoma sending in the cross, Kensei Nakashima's header pulling the save from Serantes straight onto the foot of Hayato Asakawa for the tap-in. His team having been pegged back, Imabari coach Naoto Kudo then produced a J3 power play by throwing on both Ralph Soinchens and new signing Vinicius Araujo, but to no avail. Final score, Nana won, Imabari won. Five unbeaten now for Nana, and they stay fifth. For Imabari, this was their 11th draw of the season, despite the riches of their squad, and their one point but four places behind Nara in ninth. Also a draw at FC Gifu against Tegavajaro Miyazaki. Not a huge amount of goalmouth action in this one. Gifu were unlucky not to get a penalty midway through the first half. Ryo Kubota's cross appearing to be handled by Ryota Kitamura. Nothing doing for referee Hiromichi Oka. At the other end, Masaki Ogawa had a free kick tipped over by homekeeper Shu Mogi. Gifu sub Hirofumi Yamauchi missed a couple of chances late on. Final score Gifu nil, Miyazaki nil. Two points dropped for the hosts in a division where two points makes a big difference. Gifu a seventh. If they'd nicked it, they'd be fourth. Tegavajaro bring their losing streak to an end, but this wasn't a great performance. They slip. To 16th. All that left just the single game on Sunday the 10th and Katane Toyama's promotion ambitions continue to disintegrate with a fourth straight defeat at Kamatamari Senuki. 
Katane coach Michiharu Otagiri indicated he's running out of patience or ideas or both by making seven changes to the side that lost to Sagamihana in round 25. But his team here produced a pretty wretched performance. Toyama didn't create a chance worthy of the name. Their nearest effort late in the first half, a Makoto Lindo shot that went off target. The decisive moment came soon after the restart. Lindo unlucky to concede a free kick on the edge of the area as Kaima Akahoshi threw himself to the ground. Keeper Tomoki Tagawa diving too late to prevent Nao Eguchi's set play from sneaking in. Ikki Kawasaki had a pair of chances as Kamatomari pushed without too much conviction for a second. Final score though, Sanuki won Toyama nil. Noodle Boys coach Atsushi Yoniyama has figured out his most effective way of playing and the team move up to 12th. The compressed nature of the J3 table means Katari are hardly out of it. They've dropped to 4th, but Otageri needs a change in fortunes and quick. So now to run through the top and bottom of the league standings after round 26. The top six are Ehime with 51 points, Osaka with 42, Kagoshima 41, Toyama 40, Nara and Numazu 39. At the other end of the table, the bottom six are Nagano with 33 points, Miyazaki with 32, YSCC 30, Ryukyu 28, Sagamihana 26, and bottom of the table with 23, Kitakyushu. Just time now for a quick look ahead to the round 27 fixtures this weekend when there are six games on Saturday the 16th. Third placed Kagoshima are at home to Sanuki. Nana go to Hachinohe. Imabani play host to Nagano. Bottom side Kitakyushu have picked a good time for a home game against off-form Numazu. Sagamihana still need points at home to Gifu. And at the Axis Bird Stadium, Totori take on Fukushima. Three games on Sunday the 17th. Leaders Ehime head down to Ryukyu. Big game at Toyama where the visitors are second placed Osaka. And Miyazaki are at home to Matsumoto. And there's also one game taking place on Monday the 18th. That's YSCC against Iwate. With all the week's business seen to then, that's it for this mini-pod. All that remains is for me to say thanks for listening, enjoy your football, and see you next time. Bye for now.